ahead and get started here. Um, Janet, would you offer our opening prayer for us? It's I probably ask you all the time, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> My internet's not that good, but anyway. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Here. Okay, Father in heaven, we're so thankful to be able to meet together through this um, technology this evening. We're thankful for um, Isaiah, for this great prophet, and we ask thee to bless us with a greater understanding as we share our ideas and and as we learn we're thankful for Cameron for the effort that he makes to have these classes we're thankful for our great country father we ask you to bless us at this time bless us that we will know what we need to do to repent so that this drought will end and again we ask thy spirit to be with us this night in the name of Jesus Christ Thank you. We heard your whole prayer except for the amen part. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so diving in, let me regroup. I'm sometimes if I don't have a break in between classes, I, I get all flustered. Um, let me open up these um, charts to duplicate ourselves. All right, so um, again, sorry kind of talking over myself okay so isaiah's seven part structure is uh he calls it the bifid structure and um so it goes through this this main chiasm over his whole works um there's the, the first half and second half of isaiah that that really tie in uh all of these these points of the the chiasm so the first two weeks we studied ruin and rebirth and then uh, this week, we are studying the second half of the rebellion and compliance stage here. So um, last week, we took a look We took a look at Ahaz, King Ahaz and his rebellion. And this week, we're taking a look at King Hezekiah and his compliance. So just within the rebellion and compliance part of the uh, structure here, we have an overarching uh, chiasm where it begins and ends with a prophetic commission, uh, Isaiah. Isaiah starts off on this sun-servant level uh, commission, and he ends on the seraph level uh, prophetic commission there. Then we have historical prefaces, and then the, uh, the contrast of the king's rebellion versus the king's compliance, which leads to the people's rebellion and compliance. And so I think that those are just kind of handy charts. I, I pulled these from the literary message of Isaiah, it's a book by a uh, commentary book by Avraham Gileadi. Um, but yeah, uh, amazing oversight and uh, everything there to uh, kind of get our heads straight. <laughs> um, so yeah, where do we want to start necessarily? Do we want to just dive in and, and start reading? Do we want to do some word searches right off the bat? Uh, I'm totally game for whatever. Um, my information is more along the lines of background and oh, yeah, um, with that then. stuff like that. So if you want to want me to start with that, yeah, um, and then we can actually look at what some of the words are, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in this time, the king of Assyria is, he is just on the rampage. He is going through and, and just taking over everything, right? Um, and... A lot of times, if you're like me, you read names, you read names of cities, you need read names of people, and you just go, okay, whoever that is, and you just let your, you know, glosses over, and, and you don't really quite get it. Um, but I found um, a thing that Elder Gerald Lund described, and I thought this was just really cool. And then when I read chapter 37 again today, it was like, you need to find that story. I'm like, all right, so I want to read you something that he said. Um, yeah. How, first of all, how familiar is everybody with Utah geography? Oh, in I this one, do we have any idea? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like like cities in northern Utah, kind of thing. Anybody? Kind of, yeah. I, I've only lived here five years, but 
this this hit me really hard when I first read it like four years ago. So it was enough. I knew enough. Yeah. But um, Elder Lund described the enemy um, that Covenant Israel in the Kingdom of Judah faced. This is the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians are renowned for their brutality in warfare. They tortured their captives. Their armies were seemingly invincible. Utterland suggested that we imagine ourselves as covenant Israel, hiding not in Jerusalem, but on Temple Square in Salt Lake City. Can you picture that? We're covenant Israel, we're on Temple Square in Salt Lake. Then Elderland described the volume of territory already conquered by Assyria. North and South Dakota are gone. Montana is gone. Wyoming is gone. Idaho is gone. Washington and Oregon are gone. Nevada's, Nevada's gone. Colorado is gone. All gone to the Assyrians. And Northern Utah is gone. And then the Lord says, be not afraid of the Assyrians. <laughs> Even when you see them reach Clearfield and Clearfield Falls. That's um, south, I think, south of Ogden. Even when, um, don't lose heart. And when Syracuse and Layton and Kaysville and Fruit Heights fall, no, don't lose heart yet. That's a little farther south. My daughter lives in Kaysville. Now I know where that is, right? <laughs> um, no, don't lose heart yet. Do you know where Nob is? Nob is the hill just north and west of Jerusalem that gives a military overlook of the city. And the Assyrians reached Nob. If we were to continue that analogy, it's like the Lord saying, yes, even if Woods Cross and Bountiful go down, even North Salt Lake, even if they camp on Capitol Hill, don't lose faith. If you've ever been to Salt Lake and you know you can walk from Temple Square up the hill to the Capitol, I've done that before. So if they're on Capitol Hill and we're in, in Temple Square, even if they get that far. And the Lord says, even if they camp on Capitol Hill, don't lose faith, why? because I have a scourge reserved for them. Here is the most brutal massive army in the history of the world to that point, camped within eyesight of Jerusalem. So here we are hiding on Temple Square and an Assyrian army is shouting and shaking their fists at us from Capitol Hill. Yet the Lord says, be not afraid of the Assyrians. What a lesson. Sometimes the Lord waits until the last minute to deliver his promised blessing, okay? So that gives you a little feel for what they might have been going through, right? I love that. So no. This is what the Assyrians are, are, are doing. So then in, in chapter 37, um, I have it marked in my scriptures, which of course is King James Version. And then I have Isaiah's. <laughs> so I'm going to try to, you know, bring it up here together, right? So... Uh, when he King Hezekiah heard, so this it says when K King Hezekiah heard it, when he heard about what was coming his way, okay, that's the it, he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and entered the house of Jehovah. So when he heard the army was coming, what did he do? He went to the temple. Isn't that great? That gives you an idea of who Hezekiah is, right? Mm. And he sent Eliakim, the overseer of the palace, Shebna, the secretary, and the elders of the priests in sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. So he went to the temple and they said, you guys are my messengers. You need to go and tell Isaiah. Right. And um, when, and when King Hezekiah's servants came to Isaiah, they said to, unto him, thus says Hezekiah. There, this is a woeful day, a day of reproof and disgrace. Children have reached the point of birth, but there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that Jehovah, your God, has heard the words of Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh was the, um, he was the servant of the king of Assyria who had um, kind of come and said a few things. And we'll learn, you know, what he says, whom the Lord of the king of, whom his Lord, the king of Assyria has sent to scorn the living God and will rebuke him for the things Jehovah your God has heard, were you to offer up prayer on behalf of the remnant that is left. So he's pleading at this point to Isaiah through his messengers, this is what's coming, please, you know, can you offer a prayer for, for us? 
because it's not looking good for us, right? And then Isaiah replies, tell your Lord, thus says Jehovah, be not afraid because of the words with which you have heard the king of Assyria's subordinates ridicule me. See, I will give him a notion to return home upon hearing a rumor and he and will cause him to fall by a sword in his own land. And, and that is the king of Assyria was going to go home, right? And fall by a sword. So, um, and when Rabshaketh heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found him fighting against Libna. So Rabshaketh had come down and the Lord saying, don't be afraid of him, he's gonna leave. And he did. And he went in to report to the king of Assyria who is Shenacherib. Now, Shenacherib received a report that Terhaka, king of Cush, had set out to fight against him. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, telling them. And then this next part is very telling because this is what the king of Assyria is now kind of throwing that gauntlet down to Hezekiah. This is, this is just like um, when the head of the Gadiant robbers sends down that message, right? You know, you need to surrender to us. So we're, we're going to wipe you off the face of the earth, right? <laughs> One of those. <laughs> so speak thus to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Let not your God in whom you trust delude you into thinking that Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. You yourself have heard what the kings of Assyria have done, annexing all lands. Shall you then escape? Did the gods of the nations my fathers destroyed deliver them? Did they deliver Gozan and Haran, Rezapath and the Edenites of Telassar? Where are the kings of Hamath and Arpad and the kings of the cities of Seraphim, Hena and Iva? You know, these are all places he's conquered. He's like, they couldn't stand against me. You think you puny little... You, you puny little king standing there in Jerusalem has got a chance, right? And Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the house of Jehovah and unrolled it before Jehovah. So here he is again. He gets this going, oh my, what does he choose to do? He goes back to the temple and he lays it at, at Jehovah's feet, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do when we, when we have just, overwhelming things that come at us no matter what they are take it and lay it before jehovah and i think this is so cool because hezekiah then prays and we see starting in verse 16 what it is he says but he's at the temple praying let's see what he says and then let's see what kind of answer he gets oh jehovah of hosts god of israel who sits enthroned between the cherubim you alone are god over all the kingdoms of the earth it is you who made the heavens and the earth. So here, you know, this is all along those same lines, you know, Holy Father, you are the over everything, right? Oh, Jehovah, give ear and hear. Oh, Jehovah, open your eyes and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Oh, Jehovah, the kings of Assyria have indeed destroyed all peoples and their lands, committing their gods to the fire. For they were no gods, but were mere works of men's hands, of wood and stone, and so they could destroy them. But now, O Jehovah, our God, deliver us out of his hand, that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are Jehovah. So he's in the temple and he's praying this and, you know, acknowledging all these things. How does he get his answer? His yes. answer comes through Isaiah. Isaiah's not there with him. So he gets this letter. He goes and prays to the temple. Then Isaiah sends his servants to him and says, here's, here's your answer. That is so cool, right? Because it shows where it comes. And then within, I, within the answer that he gets from Isaiah is so interesting how the Lord does it. And he starts in... Um, in, in 21, thus Isaiah, or then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is what Jehovah has spoken against him. And, and 
this these first couple of verses, the Lord is clearing his throat and introducing himself. All right. The virgin daughter of Zion holds you in contempt. She laughs you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head at you. Whom have you mocked and ridiculed? Against whom have you raised your voice, lifting your eyes to high heaven? Against the Holy One of Israel. So there's his beginning. You want to know who you're talking to? Here's his introduction. But your servants, by your servants, you have blasphemed my Lord. And then here he starts to quote what the servant said. You thought on account of my vast, you, you thought, on account of my vast chariotry, I have conquered the highest mountains, the farthest reaches of Lebanon. I have felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I have reached its loftiest summit, its finest forest. I have dug wells and drunk up foreign waters. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all Egyptian rivers. So this is what Sennacherib was saying and through his people, right? You think you're all this great, the Lord is saying. This is what you said. Now here's the Lord answering, answering that. Have you not heard how I ordained this thing long ago? How in days of old I planned it? Now I have brought it to pass. You were destined to demolish fortified cities, turning them into heaps of rubble, while their timorous inhabitants shrank away in confusion, becoming as wild grass, transiently green or like weeds on a roof that scorch before they grow up. But I know where you dwell and your comings and goings and how stirred up you are against me. And because of your snortings and bellowings against me, which have mounted up to my ears, I will put my ring in your nose and my bit in your mouth and turn you back the way you came. So there he goes and, and he, he goes and describes them like they're just, you're just animals. I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna tame you. I'm gonna turn you around go home. One of those things, right? I just love this imagery. It's great. But to you, this shall be a sign. This year, eat what grows wild. And the following year, what springs up of itself. But in the third year, sow and harvest. Now, this is, I think, um, I, I don't know that this part is actually to the king of Assyria. I think this is more to Hezekiah, the sign, right? This year, eat what grows wild. And the following year, what springs up of itself. But in the third year, sow and harvest, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The remnant of the house of Judah that survives shall once more take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and from Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of Jehovah of hosts will accomplish it. Therefore, thus saith Jehovah concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He shall not advance against it with armor, nor erect siege works against it. By the way he came, he shall return. He shall not enter this city, says Jehovah. I will protect this city and save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So the Lord threw down the gauntlet. I don't care what you think you're going to do. You might get close, but you're going to turn around and go home. <laughs> and, and then this next, this next verse. Think about what it says. Then the angel of Jehovah went out and slew 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. So here they are in Nob Hill. But this line, and when the men arose in the morning, there lay all their dead bodies. It's kind of like they woke up dead. <laughs> right? So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew, and he returned to Nineveh, where he dwelt. And as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrach, his god, his sons, Adremelech and Sherezer, slew him with a sword and fled to the land of Ararat. And his son, Esherhaddon, succeeded him as king. So everything the Lord said came about. But the way the Lord talked to him and the imagery that he talked and the, the things, it, it was just it was just great. So I, I really liked the fact, has a, aren't we all sometimes a lot like Hezekiah? We see something coming in our life and we go, Oh man, that is bigger and badder than anything I can do. Do we go to the temple? Do we take it to the Lord? Do we lay it at Christ's feet? Do, do we do these things? And then how cool is it to get, you, you pray to the Lord and you get an answer through the prophet? 
mean, we have some, we just talked about some of those experiences in Come Follow Me in early church history where people went to the prophet, right? And they got answers directly to them. Um, but that is exactly what happens. He prays in the temple. Isaiah comes and says, here's your answer. And, and the Lord, he just kind of laid it out there, you know, king of Assyria, boom. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I had. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. I, we need you as like narrator for all of the <laughs> Isaiah chapters. I love it. I, I, I can I, read whatever you want. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's so amazing. Um, in group A, we were talking about the uh, kind of intercessory prayer that the uh, Hezekiah is offering up for his people there. And it's just amazing um the the imagery and the answers that he's receiving you know it, it's such a contrast to last week with king ahaz like ahaz literally said i will not to the lord i mean the the rebellion there is is amazing and here we have ahaz's son hezekiah who says no i will i will go to the temple i will do everything that the lord needs me to do uh, to enact this Davidic covenant on behalf of this people. Right? I mean, the, the contrast is just night and day, and, and I love it. Um, yeah, 37 is, is such a powerful thing. It's taken me how many times to read through it, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much imagery and stuff there, but uh, when when we're breaking it down and and uh, really figuring out who's speaking, who they're speaking to, and and what the back and forth is, it's, it's quite the amazing drama that, that gets unfolded there. Mm-hmm. I found it very helpful to actually take different colored pens in my scriptures and I had one color for Hezekiah and one for the king of Assyria and of course I have the color for the Lord and 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 I actually put brackets around the text and then wrote on the side what's happening right yeah. you know yeah. Hezekiah gets this information and this is what he does and Isaiah's reply from the Lord and the king of Assyria what he says and and in that way when you go to read it again you've got the little brackets and you, it helps you to know, okay, this is there and this is here. Fun. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I love that because I sometimes even going back, like say uh, some of the stuff we studied in our first week, I went back and I was like, okay, I got to put my brain back on to like figure out what some of the stuff was. But if I would have just bracketed it, like you're saying, and just kind of put in my own little chapter headings or little section headings kind of thing, mm -hmm. it would have helped so much. But yeah. yeah. I love that one little detail where he says, uh, uh, where after the destroying angel went through the camp and killed so many, and uh -huh. then they woke up. I think what happened is he didn't kill everybody in the camp. He just eliminated enough to make the army useless as an army. But mm -hmm. he had to leave enough alive to be able to pick up the equipment and go home. So, and, and he had to leave someone alive to tell the tale. Uh -huh. So to... To, to determine and to tell everybody that, you know, the God of Jehovah, the God Jehovah is not one to mess with. And I think this is also going to be something that you're going to find that will be uh, telltale signs of Zion, where they, be, they will make, they will be a terrible, according to the people on the outside, the people of Zion will be a terrible people, uh, not one to be messed with, and they'll be left alone. But that that's the way the Lord works, I believe. And that when I was reading that, I, I read it a couple of times and I did get a chuckle out of it the first time Nancy said it, you know, and they all woke up dead. But uh, but that's just it. I think it has a lot to do with the amount that was wiped out and that he left some uh to 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 be able to carry on and to move him out out of the region. Yeah, and I like that he didn't even kill Sennacherib. Like, he could have easily killed the main guy, but he didn't because he had a plan in store for that, especially, you know, with the prophecy, but, like, that his sons were the ones to, to kill him uh, through that. Yeah, well, he told him, this is what's going to happen. You're going to turn around and you're going to go home, mm -hmm. and then you're going to die, but it's not going to be by me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make you walk the, the, the tiring journey of defeat uh, back, to, back to your home. <laughs> the agony of defeat right yeah exactly but interesting like when you were starting out there with the whole salt lake and imagery uh -huh. and stuff, i'm like oh my gosh this is too real <laughs> like as because we know that it's a, a dual 
prophecy, right? Like what Isaiah is doing is is prophesying for the end time as well as his own. And, you know, some of that, the, that imagery, Idaho gone. And I'm like, oh, no, not Idaho. <laughs> but I, I, there's going to be things really close to home when, when we get confronted with these end time scenarios. And, and we're going to have to deal with that. But where are we going to be at? Are we going to be at the temple? Are we going to, you know, like even when Christ comes to the Americas after all of the earthquakes and, and all of that kind of stuff, where did people migrate to? I mean, where did they congregate? The temple. We have mm-hmm. to be able to uh, go to these, these places of refuge, you know, uh, with some of the different prophecies of tent cities and, and uh, cities of light, etc. Uh, many are based around temples. Uh, you know, why, why this big push for so many temples? um prior to the millennium uh you know there's there's going to be some that uh get destroyed i i would think my own things or whatever you know if if any of the the fires or whatever like it it hardly seems that that some of these can get totally passed over but you know that's why we're building temples to to become these these uh meeting places these uh these future cities kind of thing and and then to to last into the millennium but anyway i i just love isaiah now i <laughs> before reading isaiah i was like oh my gosh that is such a boring prophet to read and, and stuff like that but i i mean seriously there's no doubt in my mind that he's seen our day because he's describing through these things exactly what we're seeing now you know going through the the years of tribulation etc like yep Yep, that's that's just headlines. <laughs> Last year in the fires here in Oregon, um, the fire literally did skip lots of places. Really, the wind, the wind blowing it, it would burn three or four houses, then it would jump, and it was crazy fast and scary. Those firefighters are probably like, "What the?" <laughs> I know there would be places just totally untouched. Uh-huh. which gives me hope like yeah. okay yeah when when the, the stuff hits the fan like it, through righteousness through covenant keeping we can kind of be protected we can uh cause some of those things to pass over us uh, you know with the imagery of uh when we have god's name written on our foreheads that that that's that sealing power can can actually be a kind of a passover motif kind of thing there yeah, mother, you raise your hand. Well, I was just thinking that the fire thing, the scenario of the end times is to get rid of everything celestial, okay. and the temp the temples are celestial, so mm-hmm. maybe they'll be protected. Yeah, what I was kind of referring to is like uh, some of the the prophecies or dreams or who knows what of like where California sloughs off into the ocean or, or this or that. And you're like, well, how does that work? Because there's so many temples there. But, you know, I, it, most of my stuff is just tongue in cheek on that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. But I can't help but think that the temples were building them for the millennium. Mm-hmm. For, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Janet. Um, how much of this tribulation are we going to have to go through, Cameron? <laughs> um, do you, what about a rapture, kind of when Christ comes? I mean, on the blogs, they're saying he'll, he will come many times and that he will take people with him. So talk to me about that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So like um, when we're looking at Isaiah decoded, right, um, we have the Zion Jerusalem level that is is a good righteous people, but um, it's that son servant level that starts enacting Davidic covenants on behalf of others. And it's the seraphims that actually do the saving when uh, worse comes to worse and and pulling people out of their distress and, and to Zion when they have no other recourse. And so, you know, it's... I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not an expert in any way. It's just because I read Isaiah decoded. But um, the, the fact that, that we're all here looking at how we can start 
uh, becoming kings and queens of the Gentiles, becoming that sun seraph level and, and even sera, uh, seraphim level, um, how we do that, the missions there are to actually help other people through the tribulations because we've overcome the world kind of a thing. And so I think uh, just the fact that we're all here studying together means that we're we're on that trajectory. We might have to go through some some hard stuff. Uh, there, you know, uh, there's always that descent before we can actually ascend in in everything, and we're all going to experience that at, at very different times. But the the main thing is to to pray and really connect and hear Him so that we can know what our missions are, or at least how to prepare for them. Uh, even though the the full details might be hidden from our view because they're just so crazy to us right now. Um, the the more I uh, am trying to uh, to hear the Savior and connect with him and and find out what I was sent to this earth to do in this end time, uh, it, it's amazing the the revelations, the inspirations that can come, but it's it's usually um, definitely not a full picture. It's it, okay, you need this, uh, focus on this for a while kind of thing. And uh, we were talking in group A kind of about the uh, food storage aspect. You know, many of us feel like our food storage isn't necessarily for us. It's for others to, to be passed on or uh, whoever is, is stuck in, in scenarios. Um, it might be used by us. I'm not discrediting that at all, but um, different scenarios. Uh, we might be out on missions. We might be doing things. We might. Um, have uh, ascended to the seraphim level and not need to eat anymore. I don't know. These are all just opinions and conjectures. I, I'm not trying to put this forth as, as gospel, but um, I think by striving to, to live worthy of the Lord's higher blessings, we can avoid lots of the, the things that are happening around us and especially not need to fear them, even if they do come. You know, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were still thrown into the furnace, but they weren't burned by it they were able to, to come out of it just fine because they um, had, had ascended the ladder and and were in the presence of Jehovah at the time. Cameron? If that answers your question at all. <laughs> hey, uh, on that same line, you know, um, we're all going to have to go through tribulations because of different kinds of tribulations. All whatever's needed for us to either one, learn a lesson or one, teach a lesson. It's kind of like it's kind of like when <clears throat> when our little, our children were young, they were terrified of a, a lightning and a thunderstorm. But us as adults, uh, we had been prepared for it ahead of time, so we knew what was going on, but it terrified the kids or it terrified the animals. Mm -hmm. uh, we both went through the same hardship, the same uh, whatever you want to call it, but, but we had two different vantage points from where we were at so for those people who are not prepared the trials and tribulations will be a very great and traumatic experience for those of us who are prepared or who are dedicated and consecrated to the lord we will experience the same trials and tribulations but they won't be an emotionally destroying event we will be expecting it we'll be looking for it and we'll know that it is necessary to obtain whatever the Lord has in store. Uh, you know, when Nephi was given the opportunity to have a, a drought, a famine, or, or have a war in order to help the, the children of, of God figure out where they were going wrong, he told them, he told the Lord to give them a drought. That way they would have more time to see the error of their ways and repent. Well, he was still in that same drought, but something tells me that he was provided enough food and water during that drought so that he could maintain observation, he could make sure he kept the records, and so that he could live to inspire others to come to Christ. Because during that time of tribulation, there has to be teachers, and there has to be words and voices of the Lord telling the people why this is happening and what to do with it, how to repent. And that, so in our, our particular case, the trials and tribulations that we may be going through will be the same as everybody else, but we will be there telling the people the purpose behind it and how to overcome it. And then that will make their burdens lighter and the Lord will bless us. This is where we come into the, 
the seraphim level and the, the sun servant level. So in fact, we are kind of taking on our on ourselves their responsibility for learning and growing and becoming sanctified. I love it. Scott's like the, the king of like object lessons. I love it. <laughs> that answers so many questions. I love that like lightning metaphor, you know, like being prepared, but you're going to experience it differently on from different things. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you, Cameron, um, for your answer. And also for the comments that were just made, I have had the feeling that my food storage is not for me. I have had that distinct feeling yeah so sure yeah i've been getting the impression lately that my house is not for me either throughout the tribulation i don't know what it is but <laughs> we'll, we'll we, are, we are stewards we mm -hmm. are we are in charge of maintaining either a storehouse or a shelter or a holy place mm -hmm. we are uh, because other people will need, need to be able to stand in this holy place that belongs to the lord and you are the steward and the caretaker of that holy place. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Mother. I just wanted to finish answering Janet's question. Oh, Thank you. She asked about the rapture and everybody passed over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my understanding that the tribulations and the rapture are separate. Um, the rapture, the main rapture is what we call rapture um, is when the Lord takes everything that is um, terrestrial and above, takes them up, and then everything telestial is destroyed. So that's what that rapture is about, is to protect us so that we don't burn up. So are there multiple raptures, kind of like what Janet was talking about? I mean, yes, there's that main rapture when the whole earth experiences it. But with Christ coming multiple times, you know, preparing uh, people and, and groups, it, does a, a burning have to happen with each of those in, in a sense? I've never considered that before. I thought that's an interesting thought. I don't know other than that, but some call uh, when we're taken up to meet Enoch when he comes back you know some call that okay. a rapture but you know I don't know yeah because if you're calling that a rapture then anytime like we learned in the, uh, the Abraham book that we did before Isaiah that uh, anytime one of the the prophets or anybody uh, gets to that level where they're taken up to see the cosmic vision that could be a rapture in and of itself and and purging of their own personal dross beforehand with trials and tribulations etc might be uh, part of that and so i don't know if i've just even considered that before you know the number of raptures is kind of immaterial right if you're left behind there was one too many or one too less right <laughs> so, there you go <laughs> so again you know as far as raptures go as long as you have the faith in your working with the Lord, then whether it's at one big time or it's in waves or cycles or whether it's cherry picking, it doesn't really matter. I guess, you know, cause the Lord is going to still need people behind to be tour guides, to be, um, mm -hmm. uh, the, to, to point the way. So uh, yeah. it may be one of those great things, but I believe it'll be very important. And it'll be very clear to each and every one of us when it happens. It's not like it's going to be, oh, oh like, uh, did I miss it? Did I blink and did I miss it? No, no, I'm sure you'll be fully aware of <laughs> what happens. Um, and, and a lot of times it will happen to people who will recognize it, but people around them will not recognize it. Uh -huh. And they'll discount oh, it. Talking, excuse me. Are you talking about the scripture that says two people will be in the field? And one will be taken and one will not be. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Is sure. That what sure. Okay. Yeah, I know there was there, there was that uh, that big series called Left Behind. Uh, it was about all the people that did not go when the rapture was called. But I think the, the Lord is 
he's fully aware of every, where everyone's at and what they're doing. And he will call us and take us to the places where we will be most affected. So if you look in Doctrine and Covenants section 88, um, it is talking about what's coming and starting in verse 92, um, it, it talks about a, a, um, an angel shall fly through heaven saying, prepare ye, prepare ye. And it goes through all of that. But it's in 95, it says, and there shall be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. And immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded as a scroll is unfolded after it is rolled up. And the face of the Lord shall be unveiled. And the saints that are upon the earth who are alive shall be quickened and be caught up to meet him. And they who have slept in their graves shall come forth, for their graves shall be opened. And they also shall be caught up to meet him in the midst of the pillar of heaven. Now, this is all before the second trump. So this is a preliminary rapture where those people who are alive, I have in my scriptures written, alive in Christ, those people who truly have taken his name upon them, who have um, been righteous, who are doing everything that they can to be ready, will be caught up to meet him. I'm sure that that's when we are going to be, we're going to be quickened. That's um, like translated, right? And we're going to be given our new marching orders at that time. And I firmly believe that we're going to then come back to help the others yeah. through the tribulation times. And that may be the reason why, you know, if you, if that is part of your future, you, that may be one of the reasons why you think, well, my food storage isn't for me, because I think once we go through that, we're going to have no need personally of our, of our food storage for ourselves, but we will definitely need it for other people. And, and I, the Lord, it, the Lord is the master of all time and space. Do you not think if he wanted to, he could take us we could be taught, it could seem like years to us and we could come right back and have so little time passed that people here wouldn't even know we were gone. Yeah. And I, I personally think that that's kind of the way it's gonna look mm -hmm. from the outside. From the inside, it's gonna be mind blown. Oh my goodness, here <laughs> I've got so much I have to learn. But I, I think that that's what will happen. And, and these are the same, it says these are Christ's. The first fruits who shall descend with him first and they who are on the earth and in their graves who are first caught up to meet him and all of this by the voice of the sounding of the trump of the angel of God. And then it goes right in. And after this, a second trump shall sound and, and read through that. I mean, Doctrine and Covenants 88, we're, we'll get to that and come follow me in a few weeks, but you know, you don't have to wait until then to study it. <laughs> uh, but but it is really I, I think that's kind of what's coming and and the world they see a rapture and they have part of it but they don't see the big picture and I think that's the one of the beauties that we have with the gospel and all the extra scriptures that we have is we get more of that big picture mm -hmm. and we can see more um, and see a, a wider expanse that they're you know. The world may focus on the very last one right just before the final burning or something but i i think that this has kind of come to help people through the tribulations my two cents yeah thank you that was good yeah, that, was, that was more than a million dollars <laughs> awesome <laughs> All right, so um, I kind of wanted to make sure that we have kind of a, a little foundational or thing on Hezekiah. So um, who was he? What did he do throughout his lifetime? Yes, we find out these things in, in Isaiah. Um, his parents are uh, Ahaz, who we mentioned before, and his wife was Abaiha, who was a daughter of the high priest Zechariah. His wife, I thought this was interesting. It's kind of a, a side story that happens in between chapter 37 and 38. His wife is actually Isaiah's daughter. And so uh, we see that Hezekiah and, and Isaiah's daughter give birth to Manasseh. And what do we know about Manasseh? Manasseh is the worst evil king of, of all Israel. 
Manasseh ends up killing Isaiah, sawing him in half. We learn that in the uh, uh, ascension of, of Isaiah. And so I didn't know that before. That was an interesting new tidbit to me. It's like, oh, so Manasseh that's... killed his grandfather. Like yeah. that was that was news to me. I, I didn't put those yeah. two together. Um, so Hezekiah, much like Ahaz, um, was uh, assumes kingship pretty early on. You know, he's he's dealt with uh, like thrown into the the fire here right at the bat. But what does Hezekiah do? Um, uh, he immediately starts purging out everything that that Ahaz has done. Uh, gets rid of the uh, the brass serpent that, that Moses raised in the wilderness, people had started idol uh, idolatrous practices towards that statue and not using it for, for what it was supposed to uh, emulate. And so he got rid of that, got rid of uh, some of the things in the temple, purified the, the Levitical line, etc., trying to do some amazing things. Um, and, and like Nancy was saying throughout chapter 37 there, where is he? He's in the temple. He's um, always enacting this Davidic covenant on behalf of his people. And uh, what was that verse? Let me share that really quick. <laughs> he, he goes to the Gihon Springs. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Um, is that in 37 or is that in 36? I think that's in 36. Yeah, it um, wasn't in 37. <clears throat> oh, yeah, right. Uh, so we talked about this in uh, last week with King Ahaz. Isaiah takes Ahaz and takes him to the, the Gihon Spring, which is represented here um, by the aqueduct of the upper reservoir on the road to the Laundry Plaza. Or in our King James Version, the, the thing we always hear, Highway of the Fuller's Field. So this is the Gihon Spring. This is the water source for Jerusalem. And it's first with David. David is taken there. And that's where the Davidic covenant is enacted and, and started. And each uh, successive king is taken to this exact place where they can formally enter into the Davidic covenant. And so uh, Isaiah takes Ahaz there, but then we see in um, chapter 36 that Hezekiah goes there of his own accord. You know, he, he doesn't have to be dragged uh, by his ear there, but, but he goes to that Gihon spring. And so we can tell right off the bat that he is cognizant of the Davidic covenant and what he needs to do to enact it. And so I thought that that was just a very crucial thing to, to learn about him. That, you know, even from a young age, even though he assumed kingship really young, um, because of his knowledge and uh, because he was raised by, I, I'm assuming this is not Dr. In any way, but, but by a righteous mother, not a righteous father, that he, he at least knew some of these things to do and to, to reform. Um, and so, uh, anyway, uh, for a long time, he does not get married. He does not get married until, uh, uh, kind of after, uh, some of these scenarios here. And then he gives birth to Manasseh afterward. Uh, one of the reasons for the boils that, that he is nigh unto death with is because he refused to get married and have children for so long. And, and so that was a covenantal curse that he was personally taken upon himself. Uh, as well as the iniquities of his people um, that they were uh, all trying to atone for in order to, to do this. So anyway, that's kind of a, a rough, uh, <laughs> quick rundown of King Hezekiah's life. There's so much to study here. Um, in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, we can find lots of different tidbits to the story. Um, but I wanted to do a quick study on this fig that he applies to his boil in order to heal. Um, so let me uh, share that. Um, so I think it's in 38. Let me... It is in 38. Um, look at 20, 21. Are you in 38? Yeah, I'm in 38. I've seen it up there. Oh, it's in the King James, the figs. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. There you go. It's not in the translation. Okay. So um, what I wanted to do on the Isaiah Explained website, this is a great way to, to look at the concordance here. So um, fig. Okay. So here in, um, in verse 21 there. And so Isaiah gave instruction to take fig packs and apply them to the swelling so that he could recover. 
And um, I thought that that was very interesting because it wasn't until reading it this time that I was like, oh, that's what the, the prescription was, was a fig. Now, where else do we see figs in the scriptures and in metaphors and symbolism? We see it with the Adam and Eve story. We see it with uh, Christ cursing the fig tree. What does the fig represent and stuff? So I, I wanted to do a quick little uh, word search on that. So if you click on fig on this website, it'll take you to the concordance where we can see all of the different times that a fig is used in the book of Isaiah. So um, we have it here in 38 where we're at, but we also have it in chapter 36 and 34. So um, it's a lot with the uh, Hezekiah story. And so let's open those and just kind of compare them side by side and see what Isaiah is meaning by this fig and, and what we might be able to, to learn and pull out for, from it. Um, sorry, if I'm kind of bouncing around and zooming and scrolling, if it gives you a headache, sorry. Um, so in Isaiah 34, we have the nations are slaughtered and their lands laid waste in Jehovah's day of vengeance on behalf of Zion. So um, very much kind of future pointing, uh, although it does apply historically as well. But um, we have that these awful covenant curses that, that are coming upon. So their, their slain will be flung about, their corpses emit a stench, etc. Um, and then like withered leaves from a vine or shriveled fruit from the fig tree. So it's kind of pointing to, to some of that metaphor where Christ cursed the fig tree because it was supposed to be bearing fruit, but it wasn't. And so he cursed it. He has power over death and, and could curse it in that way. Um, 36. Um, this is what we, uh, well, I guess we read it in, in the first one. So Rabshika, that um, is the messenger from uh, Sennacherib, he says to, uh, to the people and, and that are in the, the city of Jerusalem, do not listen to Hezekiah. Um, Thus says the king of Assyria, make peace by coming out to me. Then every one of you will eat of his own vine and of his own fig tree and drink water from his own cistern. So they're promising if, if people will abandon Hezekiah and come out of the city, that they'll be provided for. They'll get their own fig tree that they can have their own fruit. Uh, they will have uh, power in, in a sense. And then here in 38, where the uh, Isaiah gives instructions to take fig packs and apply them to the swelling so that he can recover. And so, uh, again, what is the boil from? It's because Hezekiah is enacting the Davidic covenant on behalf of his people. He goes to the Lord and says, hey, Lord, I am faithful, and I've already entered into a covenant with you to save this people if they will hear my voice. And they have, they are obeying what I say, and I am hearkening to thee, you know, temple imagery there, hearken to me as I hearken to the Father. And then, um, then the prophet, again, is, is given instructions to take to Hezekiah, to take figs and, and pack them to cover this, this healing, because Hezekiah took upon himself the infirmities or transgressions of the people. And how do you heal that? With, with the fruit of the fig tree. The fig tree is always uh, representative of the knowledge, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil from the, the Garden of Eden. That's why they hid themselves with the fig leaves. And um, it, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the, the power over death. Um, and the, the Davidic covenant is all about protection from the threat of death. And so I, I find it very interesting that the fig is what's uh, really being brought forth there as the cure. Um, yes, you've taken upon yourself all of these uh, iniquities, you've descended for your people, but through the fig, you can become whole. Uh, you can have the power over death and um, have that knowledge. Uh, anyway, I thought that was just such an interesting word study as I went through it. There was only three references to figs there in Isaiah, but um, I found those very interesting, very enlightening. Um, <laughs> I tell you, uh, this this week we should have split out into two different weeks because there's just so much to talk about, so much to say. Um, any kind of final thoughts, things that you want to discuss about um, this this rebellion and compliance that we see here contrasted with Ahaz and Hezekiah, or anything else, you know, 
because we're all good friends and we can chat about anything. <laughs> well, in chapter 39, um, Hezekiah actually, um, he entertains the, the leaders from Babylon, right? And what does he do? He shows them the wealth to, um, you know, to Babylon, to the king of Babylon. Yeah. And, and there was something that I came across, oh, a couple, maybe it was when we were studying New Testament, when we were, um, you know, when, when the Lord is telling the parable where he's calling people to come to the, to the marriage feast and people, uh, one of the excuses is they don't want to go because they have a piece of land they have to go see. And, and it has to do with once you have seen something, then you can make it your own. Right. And so when Hezekiah, um, and, and I think this is where Hezekiah slipped up a little bit, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the king of Babylon comes and he welcomes them in and, oh, let me show you what I have. Let me show you the, the wonders of our land and, and um, you know, the treasury. And, and here, verse two, Hezekiah was glad of them and showed the envoys his treasury, the silver and gold, the spices and fragrant oils, and his entire armory and all that was in his treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, why do you think he did that? That is the craziest thing to me. You know yeah. what I see? I just I just now saw that. It's just that Hezekiah was so grateful to the Lord and he wanted the Babylonian kings, evidently they were, they were uh, at peace at this moment. He wanted to show to the Babylonian kings all the great things that the Lord had provided. And that if they turned to the Lord, then they could have great treasuries like this too. Unfortunately, the customs of the day twisted Hezekiah's uh, uh, missionary efforts. Mm-hmm. So I believe that Hezekiah at that time was not being a fool as much as I used to think he was, is that the time he was being, he was trying to promote the blessings and the, and the, the follow through of being a child of God, of being a leader of God. And that if Babylonian, if Babylon had embraced the God of Israel, then they too would have been as well-blessed and highly favored as Hezekiah and his treasury were. Unfortunately, they didn't want to get their own. They wanted to get his. So That's very it, interesting. Yeah, that sheds a whole new light on it, looking at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but then Isaiah comes up and says, what did those guys want? Maybe Hezekiah was just naive. Maybe he has a guy. He has he had a good thing. He's hard at good, but he was he was ignorant of custom. Of custom. Yeah, you know, because this is um, what did those men say to you, and where did they come from? And Hezekiah replied, "They came from a distant land. They came to me from Babylon." <laughs> and Isaiah asked, "What did they see in your palace?" And Hezekiah said. They saw everything saw there everything is in my palace. There's nothing in my treasuries that I, that I did not show them. <laughs> then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. The time shall come when everything in your palace and all that your forefathers have treasured up until now shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Jehovah. And from among your own sons, your future offspring and descendants, they shall take some to serve as eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. But Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of Jehovah you have spoken is good. For he thought, then there shall be peace and loyalty during my reign. So he's like, well, at least I'll be peaceful now. <laughs> but didn't we see exactly that happen? I mean, that's how Daniel ended up in Babylon serving Kim, King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. How many how many missionaries have you ever met that 
that it was really about trying to impress an investigator and the, an investigator was in a hard time. So they said, well, our bishop can help you meet this obligation or help you do that. How, how many times has a, has a green missionary volunteered church <laughs> funds or church resources? Oh, we can help you move in or move out. And then we'll have somebody help you unmow load when you get there. How many times have you heard that either through somebody else's mouth or your own? So mm -hmm. I think in the case, in this case of Hezekiah, I think Hezekiah just didn't realize what it is he was doing. He was bragging on the Lord and, and he just didn't realize what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. All right. Well, it has been fun <laughs> to say the least. I, I love our study groups. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> Tracy's clapping. All right. Well, we will see everyone next week uh, for um, the punishment and deliverance. All of a sudden, I had a brain fart. Uh, punishment and deliverance. We'll see how that goes on to a ruin and rebellion and um, the ruin and rebirth, rebellion and compliance. And the next dip, uh, punishment and deliverance. We'll see the, the examples of that. All right. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Glad you got to see me.